Welcome to Manager Tools. Today's topic, Aggregated Behaviors Are Performance. Part two, here we go. Okay, so last week, Mark, we were talking about what exactly we mean by behavior. And we talked about, right. one, the words you say, and then how you say them. Right. I'm sure there are people who thought we could get through all of it in one cast. <laughs> <laughs> foolish, foolish people. <laughs> look, look to me, whenever I think about behaviors, Mike, I got to tell you, I consider this, uh, for many of our listeners, to be a gigantic thought experiment. The idea that behaviors are performance that systems are not performance, that thoughts are not performance, that ideas are not performance. All of this, I think, is a thought experiment. I don't think for the vast majority of people that I've known and all the years I've been working with managers, the idea that individual behaviors essentially get aggregated into a thing that becomes performance is, I think people just don't understand there's a connection. Or No, it's not that they don't understand it once you explain it to them. I just think most people just live in this world where daily performance is completely unrelated to end of year. Because if you're at a big company, it's um, everybody else too makes a difference, right? And you feel like you're a drop in the ocean. If you're at a small company, there's all kinds of reasons why you don't think of your individual behavior. The moment you stop believing that your individual behavior is not the single biggest and really the only driver of performance is the moment you start thinking, well, I don't don't have to, you know, I don't have to work very hard, right? It's just a, it's a crapshoot. That's pretty nihilistic after a while. So, yeah, exactly. Okay, so let's go on with the describing. Uh, we said there are five types of behavior, right? The the words you say, how you say them, facial expressions, body language, and work product. And we're on the third of those five, facial expressions. Right. Well, you're a high C, so you should have no problem with facial expressions. I have none. Mr. Stone Face. <laughs> yeah. <laughs> I'm tempted to say Mr. Botox. I've said that a couple of times at conferences and it just doesn't go over well. Yeah. Look, facial expressions matter. Usually, if you're smiling when you agree to do something extra for a customer, as an example, that's perceived by customers as more professional than furrowing, furrowing your brow or not smiling at all. They're going to question. Now, you might say, well, I'm sorry, my facial expressions aren't in line with my my intent, but my intent is to do this brilliantly. And I'm just thinking, okay, but if you're responsible for interacting with that customer, and if you have every intent of doing a great job, and then in fact, later without the customer seeing it, do a great job, that does not mean that the customer left thinking you did a great job. And probably when that customer gets that job back, if there's anything less than perfectly desirable about the outcome, they will be more likely to find it simply because their experience boils down in part to your facial expressions. And I know that's hard and I, I'm not saying I like it, but Horstman's law embrace reality, right? And people say, I don't mean anything by that furrowed brow or by that, that grimace or that, that uh, totally passive face. But how many times have we said it? Communication is what the listener does. And you're still responsible for your communication. That's the conundrum. That's why communication is so hard, guys, because you're responsible for it, but somebody else does it. That's why management is so hard. You're responsible for what your team does, but they have to do it. 
you know, and Mike Swenson, our friend, constantly says the statistic he reminds people about is uh, meaning is determined 7% based on the words we use. I want to tech that because I really think it's higher than that. But anyway, 38% by tonal differences, pitch and speed and so on, how you say the words, and 55% by nonverbal, which is facial expressions, what we're talking about now, and also body language, which is next. Your facial expressions communicate additional data. You know what your facial expressions are. Most people as adults are reasonably well attuned to them. And it can make a difference with customers. It can make a difference with your boss. It can make a difference with your team. If your boss says we got to do X and your team knew that you fought for Y and it lost and you sit in front of them and say, okay, we're going to do X and your facial expression doesn't indicate any excitement and your tone doesn't indicate any excitement. And then you want to blame your team when they don't do it wholeheartedly. I got to say, you know, the burden's on you. You have to communicate as if you really believe it. And there are people who would tell my, I mean, we'd have a whole separate conversation about, about our previous cast, about professional subordination and uh, murdering the unchosen alternative. Folks, I did not say murdering subordinates. Okay. (laughs) But look, when you hear an idea that somebody else is excited about and you choose not to smile, and we pick on smiling here because it's one of the most common, you allow them to draw an inference. And for many of you, you actually want them to draw the inference that you're not excited about their idea. And by the way, I have to tell you, that's a really low leverage choice to make. Sending a message that I'm not excited about the idea, if in fact you're not, makes it easier for them to be concerned that you're not going to do what you need to do. Why not show them you're excited? There are other things you're excited about too. You could choose to be excited about something else more rather than telegraphing, I'm not going to be a collaborator of yours here. Amazing. The number of places we read about collaboration and then people want to go through their days and, and have stone faces and not smile and not raise their eyebrows and, and not show respect and encouragement and enthusiasm for other people's ideas and so on, even when you're just brainstorming. And then you want to call yourself collaborative? No, folks, not in the human realm. You're not going to get credit for being collaborative while furrowing your brow and saying, I think this might work you know, putting a whole bunch of caveats in there and then acting as if you're thinking it through. Well, I didn't mean it was a negative. Oh, like hell you didn't. Of course you did. We're not stupid. We didn't just fall off the turnip truck. We know you're doing it on purpose. And then you don't want, oh, well, you can't judge me by my facial expressions. Let me tell you something. We can and we will. It's behavior, just like the words you say and how you say them. And I've said to people before, when you say yes and you then you don't smile, I don't believe you're going to work very hard on it. I'm going to look harder at the quality of your work you do. I just want you to know that. People are, oh, I can't believe you're judging me. I'm not judging you. I'm making an evaluation the way everybody else in the world does, the way you fully knew I would and you wanted to communicate that you weren't excited about the thing you were going to have to do. I'm just calling you on it and saying that's not the way to be effective because I'm doing stuff I don't want to do. If you've only just heard an idea and you quickly disregard it, or in fact, your facial expressions show that you quickly disregard it, you may be right. You may be wrong, but don't think of yourself as a relationship builder. And what have we said over and over again in career tools? Results and relationships, results and relationships. In fact, I think I wrote once to someone just recently, I wrote results, relationships, repeat. That's all. It's like, I feel like a proctor guy, lather, rinse, repeat. Results, relationships, repeat. And if you're not building relationships, Okay. And by the way, you high C's and you high D's, those of you who think that 
not smiling and not not doing uh, the kinds of facial expressions that are thought of as warm and empathetic and so on. Don't be surprised that if the stuff hits the fan, you don't have any friends to vote for you. Not that the world is about voting. There you go. Facial expressions are incredibly powerful. But another one is body language, right? I mean, crossing one's oh, arms yeah. is not always response to a room being cold. Yeah. Or when you're asked a direct question and you look down, that's not perceived the same way as if you make direct eye contact. Yeah. The one I like is people sitting in meetings and rocking back and forth and twiddling their pen and looking up at the ceiling and saying, oh, I'm totally following everything. No, you're not. You're not. And you might say you are, but you're not getting credit for it. And communication is what the listener does. And you're choosing to engage in behaviors that you know communicate or reasonably ought to know communicate something different. Drumming your fingers on a conference table may, quote, mean nothing, unquote. It means nothing, boss. But you know what? Most people are like, again, I didn't just fall off the turnip truck. Suppose a direct of yours, folks, when asked about their status on a project, said, pretty good, while smiling and nodding her head, and she looks right into your eyes. Another of your direct said, pretty good, after he paused, looked down, and then looked away. Can you honestly say that both answers mean the exact same thing to you? I think for 90% of you, the answer is no. No, no way. Yeah, now look, we're not saying one guy's right and the other guy's wrong, but there's general agreement about the differences and what those differences mean in terms of effectiveness toward achieving results. And that's our job as managers to achieve results while retaining people. And I got to tell you, I, I love feedback as a manager about facial expressions and body language particularly people that I think aren't completely on board because I love calling on it. And people say, oh, I didn't mean that. I said, I'm not talking about your meaning. I'm talking about my inference about your meaning. Oh, you're judging me. No, I'm not. I'm telling you that when you do that, this is the conclusion I draw. It's easy. If you don't want me to draw that conclusion anymore, don't do that. And they might go to their friends and say, well, I'll just fake them out and I'll pretend. Okay, fine. And we'll get along better. And then I'll still end up judging your, evaluating your results anyway. So why don't we all get along a little bit better and we don't put happy faces on all the time. If you're frustrated, it's okay to be frustrated. It's not okay to be frustrated and then to say you're not. Yeah. Now, the next one, work product. We often have to explain this a little bit because people don't, they kind of get it, but there's a little bit more detail in there we probably need to talk about. What, what exactly yeah. is work product and why is work product behavior? Yeah, look, what you do and how well you do your job our behaviors. And what we're doing is we're trying to address the fact that everybody's job is different and we can't simply describe every possible behavior. Okay. Conceptually, this at least in part flows from your organization as an entity unto itself. If you think about your company, your organization as an entire entity, a, a being, if you will, with personhood, we can argue about that politically, but at least in the U.S. legally, it's a, it's, it's a reasonable definition to at least have a conversation about. Think about it as you and your fellow associates as the hands and arms and eyes and ears of the firm. In the same way that your hands and eyes engage in your behavior, you engage in your firm's behaviors. Okay. We can't assert ourselves as a disconnected individual if you're acting professionally in your role in the firm or on behalf of the firm. 
Managers, for instance, can't be managers without the firm's existence to make the rule possible. If you're a manager and there's no firm and there are no people, then sorry, you're not a manager or you're you're a fantastical creature, right? That means that your job responsibilities are a good starting point to think about what your behaviors ought to be at work. And basically, job responsibilities serve as a form of an avatar for our work product behaviors. We go to work and we do stuff. That is behavior for the firm, for the organization, for the entity. And this is related to, inextricably intertwined with, words you say, how you say them, facial expressions and body language, okay? Might be helpful to get into more specifics, right? I mean, let's talk about what that means. What kind of measures would we apply? Because when I say facial expressions, people understand inherently based on their human upbringing that there are measures associated with. In other words, there are words we use to say smile or frown or raised eyebrow or squinty or grimace. Those things are widely understood. And there would be people who argue that, well, they're slightly different in each country, different demographics. Yes, only slightly. Generally speaking, human emotions cross all geopolitical boundaries. There's wide, widespread agreement on this among demographers and sociologists and so on. But how do we define work product across organizations and so on? And it's pretty simple. Quality is one. Your work quality is a behavior within your organization. And how do you define quality? Well, a good way to think about it is how does your work compare to accepted standards of efficiency and excellence and the other parts of work product like timeliness and so on. Quantity as well is another work product behavior. How much work did you do? Right. If I produce five and you produce 10, it's pretty clear. I rock from behavior. You rock. Yeah. Well, we know that already, but yeah. Maybe that's just an oversimplification. <laughs> <All right. laughs> Look, if there are numerical goals, obviously quantity matters. And to be clear, folks, it's possible you could have great, you could say great words, you could have great facial expressions, you could have great body language, you could, you know, and so on and everything. I mean, you could say them perfect, say the words perfectly. And if you don't achieve your numbers, you're not going to get to keep your job. And so that's a behavior that we're going to hold you accountable for. And there are some jobs that are not formally measured. We're still quantity can be assessed, usually in the form of proxies or in, in measurements that the manager makes up as a way to address proxy, to give a proxy for a person's quantity and its behavior. Accuracy. You could make this a part of quality, but I found it's easier to help with managers say, no, it's really, they're separate. They're closely related, but they're separate. And that is, does your work require rework or does it generally meet accepted practices in your professional? Timeliness, a huge one. Boy, I'll tell you, people don't seem to get the value of timeliness or or speed, if you will, the use of time to an advantage. The question is, you know, behaviors, do you meet deadlines? You know, sometimes speed creates inefficiencies, but usually it's an enormous competitive advantage. Frequency of work product would also be part of timeliness. And relatedly, I suppose, one's own timeliness is included there too. Being where you're supposed to be when you're supposed to be there. I've always thought it was funny that people who are always late to meetings don't miss more flights than the rest of us. <laughs> wonder why that is. <laughs> yeah, because they know they can get away with it, right? <laughs> yeah, airlines will leave without you. <laughs> yeah, exactly. Documents. Now, we could make this body language in terms of you typing, but we're not going to do that. You're responsible for the communication 
and the analysis and the ideas you present to others in written and electronic form. Emails are behavior. Now, interestingly, ideas are not behavior. Analysis is behavior after a fashion, but we measure it based on the output, on the conclusions that you put in your communications and in your documents. Emails are behavior because you made choices about what you said and how you said it. Very much like uh, the words you use. We talked about earlier. What yeah. you say, how you say them. And there's a way you say them on email as well, right? Yeah, exactly. And that closes that loophole. People are like, well, I use email a lot. Yeah. Generally speaking, there are very few people who are listening to this who are really smooth and clever and awesome face-to-face and stink at email and vice versa. If you're a good communicator, you're good at both. If you're a bad communicator, you're bad at both. And I'd be willing to bet that 70% of the bad communicators don't know they're bad. And yet you're judged by it. You're evaluated on it all the time. Lastly, relationships. Now, this one really encompasses all the others because all the other behaviors lead to indelibly the kind of relationships you create. But your relationships are an aggregated form of behavior that you're responsible for. Your organization relies on you to maintain professionally viable relationships with other people. This is a function of the separation of labor that organizations allow. If you don't engage in those relationships, you don't engage in the behaviors around relationships, that affects other parts of your work, other people's ability to use your work effectively, and it can degrade the quality, quantity, accuracy, timeliness of your work. And that affects the ability of the firm to do well. Now, look, we went in a lot of detail, but basically that's how we define work behaviors. Words you say, how you say them, facial expressions, body language, and work product. All value creation in your organization flows from, or at worst, through these behaviors. In those cases where value flows through behaviors, we still recommend focusing on behaviors because they're measurable and they're inarguable. And we'll talk about why they're inarguable in a bit. Okay, so your second point we want to talk about was why other stuff doesn't produce results. So are you saying that results are only produced through behaviors? Yeah, we are. We can argue this around the tree. We can go around the tree a thousand times. The use of behaviors as the fundamental measure and the lever of virtually all things managerial really, as I mentioned earlier, surprises people. It's why I mentioned it as a thought experiment. How many of us in our lives as managers, I know it's it's happened to me thousands of times, have been told in books and in speeches and so on that we need to motivate other people. But you know what, folks? It's stunning to me, and it ought to be stunning to you, and I think not many of you know it, that even saying that out loud can even be tolerated as an encouragement for managers. All the psychologists, all the scientists, behavioral scientists agree, you can't motivate somebody else. You can't. It's impossible. Motivation of of person X always comes from their internal choices. Even incentives. You might say, well, I threatened them with death. Some people, you can threaten with death and it will absolutely not motivate them. The manager who struggles to motivate his or her team will probably only be successful in creating an environment for those directs who are largely motivated by the same things the boss is motivated by. This is why sometimes people struggle at conferences when I use examples of, hey, let's coach this guy because he wants to get promoted and he needs to learn this managerial skill. Oh, some of my people don't want to get promoted. Yes, exactly. 
Good point. Good point. Right. Other people aren't motivated the way you are, and you need to know your people. And gee, we need to come up with a system, Mike. I, you know what would be good? If we could come up with a system, a really repeatable, simplistic, not terribly difficult way for managers to get to know their people. What do you think? Should we come up with that? We'd that have to come up with a catchy name that like, yeah. Know, like yeah, you're right. one-on-ones maybe, just maybe. Oh, yeah, because one-on-ones, yeah. We have to write that down and come back to that. Yeah, we'll have to do a podcast on yeah, that. Let's put maybe, that in the pot. Maybe more than let's one. put in the pot. Yeah, maybe more than one. Yeah, exactly. It sounds important to me. So look, motivating your team is a waste of time. By the way, this hopefully points out to some of you, maybe I better hire better people. Oh yeah, hiring is the most important thing you do. Something else we hear a lot of, okay? So again, the reason I'm saying that is that motivation doesn't produce results. It doesn't. The behaviors that motivation, if you say to yourself, that person's motivated, the only way you know whether or not they're motivated is by counting and by paying attention to the behaviors they engage in. If I had a guy who sat, sat on his desk all day, did nothing ever, would anyone in the, in the listen to this podcast say, oh, that guy's motivated? Of course not. <laughs> They'd have to see behaviors from which they would infer a motivation. Same thing with ideas, right? Look, guys, don't get us wrong. Ideas are hugely important. The history of ideas in mankind is a lot more important than manager tools. They're the spark of so many things. In fact, a good idea is probably a progenitor of most profits in most cases. But how many companies have created products from, quote, insanely great ideas, unquote, only to have them flop completely? And I use Steve Jobs' words of insanely great ideas only to highlight the Newton and the Mac Cube and Next and Mobile Me too, for that matter. All of these incredible flops, insanely great, incredible flops. Ideas alone do not ensure success. They don't produce results. You have to have effective behavior, and I would argue efficient behavior as well, in order to get to results. Let's take it even further. I mean, I, I, I'm sure we'll get some bad emails about this, but take a different idea. One of the things that management is founded on that all managers ought to believe the spread of which is important, which is freedom or liberty. I mean, in the history of mankind, is there a bigger idea than freedom or liberty? I guess maybe love. All love is, you could argue love is an emotion or it's an idea, whatever. Okay. But think about it, folks. What's the value of the idea of freedom in the mind of a slave or a subjugated citizen of a repressive dictatorship if, in fact, that person doesn't get to act on it in any way, right? They're a slave, okay? Look, there's an idea of France and Sao Paulo in Austin, Texas, but that freedom serves the world and, it, and its owner, one assumes, because there are behaviors that bring that idea to life. Hey, look, we want slaves to dream of freedom. That's good. But if he's never free, if no one, he himself or someone else ever frees him, the idea of that freedom stays only an idea and it doesn't have an energy that can serve other people. Oh, you say, wait a minute. What if he convinces somebody else to fight for freedom and they do it? Okay, well, then he communicated and that's a behavior. Yeah. And the person doing something about it is behavior, right? <laughs> yeah, exactly. Ideas are great. Exactly. Yeah, yeah, it's a whole chain of behaviors. Don't don't even go there, dude. We could spend hours on that alone. Ideas are great, guys. We love them. Mike had the idea of manager tools many, many years ago. I didn't have this idea. He did. He says, dude, we, we got to do this. 
I said, okay, I trust you, man. But ideas are great and only become greater and more viable when they are turned into actions by our behaviors. Ideas aren't viable alone in somebody's head. You could say, yeah, sure, I know that. But guys, the moment you start talking about a prototype that came from an idea, you're not just talking about the idea anymore. Now you're talking about a prototype which someone built and the communication and the building are both behaviors. No idea left unspoken, unacted upon, unbrought to fruition, untested, ever delivered any value to anyone. It is the actions we take to turn those ideas into communicated concepts or products or services that deliver the value, that makes our world better, that brings more people out of freedom, out of, out of slavery. It is our behaviors that matter. And folks, we don't minimize ideas. I mean, who's going to minimize freedom or liberty or love? Not going to do it. Okay. Yeah. We, what we are saying is that we can't measure those things and they don't achieve results in our organizations. Yeah, but we can measure behaviors, though. Totally cool. Yeah. Now, you might argue, well, Mark, really then behaviors are a proxy for ideas, and I want to hire people with great ideas. Okay, that's fine. I got no problem with that. You want to do that? It's good. And I hope they engage in the right behaviors after they have all these good ideas. I suspect, though, the only way you're going to hire them is if they've engaged in behaviors before based on their ideas. And folks, we want you to hire people with great ideas and with great behaviors. Okay? We want both. We would argue, don't hire people with great behaviors without great ideas. Okay. We want you to hire both. But if you had a choice, but somebody who had great ideas and no behaviors and people who had good behaviors, but no idea, it's a really bad choice. It's a Faustian choice. It's probably a false choice, but I choose the one with behaviors because you can bank on behaviors. Folks, we know ideas matter at work and they matter a lot, but love matters too. And we can't manage love as far as we can tell. We don't manage based on what is true so much as we manage based on what will help us align activity to achieve results because that's what we're obligated to do as managers, as professionals. We can't get inside people's heads. We try, but we fail. Oh, so often. Yeah. And people don't like that. I, I found that. Oh, my God. <laughs> people do not like that <laughs> yeah, at they, all. They just don't. You know, you say, oh, I know you're being rude. And the person says, no, I wasn't being rude. And they can always defend themselves against your attacks on their emotions or their thoughts, their ideas, because they can just simply lie and say, that's not what I was thinking. And then all we have is conflict, and that doesn't help relationships. We have to manage that which is visible, that which we can measure. Maybe it's imperfect, but welcome to the human race. We've been imperfect for tens of thousands of years, and you're not going to be the one to change that. Frankly, I've always thought of behaviors as being a proxy for ideas. That's all. Because ideas don't produce results. Managers are responsible for results. Managers must therefore manage what they can that produces results, which is behaviors. And look, guys, we'll mess you up right away. We're going to mess you up, a lot of you, with this. There is a way to make ideas manageable almost. Just measure them. Pay someone to sit around and come up with ideas and pay them for the ideas. Okay, now I admit that's a trick, though. It's secret. But, of course, the moment he has to communicate his ideas, then it's that's a behavior. behavior right? You can measure that. <laughs> <Yeah>. <laughs> but we're joking anyway. Look, one more thought about behaviors and results. Try this experiment. Imagine everyone in your worm in your firm stopped engaging in any behaviors at all. They didn't work. No customer calls, no production workers on the floor, no turning on or off of machines, no quality checks, no trucks driven, no store doors open in the morning, no code written. How long before your results suffered? Look, if we were going to be mean, we'd also ask you to imagine everyone feeling motivated while doing nothing. 
and maybe even feeling motivated and think of tons of awesome ideas while doing nothing. Other stuff does not produce results, unfortunately. Behavior does. And you know what, guys? I'm a romantic. I'm a hopeless romantic. I believe in what we're doing, even when we have setbacks. I just think this is a better way. You know, there'll be a legacy for Mike and I and Danny and Wendy and Maggie and everybody else that's associated with the firm. And all of you are carrying the water to other people everywhere. I'm a hopeless romantic. And I love the ideas. And I love the idea of love and liberty and freedom. And the fact is, I'm willing to have that thought in my head and recognize that's not our leverage. And when you know the leverage, you have to focus on the leverage you got. And it's behavior. Yeah. There's another reason why behaviors are the purview of the effective manager. It's not just because they are the driver, the driver of all results. It's not just that the results in your firm are nothing more than behaviors aggregated. I know what you're going to say. It's just plain easier to manage focusing on behaviors. It's less less painful too, right? First time you tell somebody, you know, you were rude in that meeting and you know I wasn't. And you say, yes, you were. And they say, no, I wasn't. Oh, God, those conversations. I remember when I was a lieutenant and somebody said, that's called playing who shot John, right? It just doesn't work. Look, guys, we know in our discussion about ideas a minute ago, I'm sorry, in my monologue about ideas <laughs> a minute ago, we're even talking about motivations. Some of you rebelled a little bit at that. We won't argue with you. We know you'd rather run a company full of great ideas than one where everyone just behaves. We respect that. But what if one of your directs thought to himself, wow, I just had the best idea of my life. I deserve a promotion. He hasn't told anybody about the idea, just the idea itself. And he says, I deserve promotion. It's in his head. You'd be thinking, "Um, no, no no promotion there. No. First, they'd have to tell you they have a good idea. Again, we could say behavior. Communicating an idea is behavior, guys but we're not going to. We might say, okay, what's to stop everyone just from coming up with tons of ideas? Does every idea deserve a raise or a bonus? Probably not. You'd probably have to determine the value of the idea, right? Which of course, frustratingly would mean behaviors to figure it out, to make it a reality. But what if it was a really good idea, but she couldn't turn it into a reality? What if they couldn't make the prototype work? Is it still a good idea? Do they still get a promotion? Yeah, still a good idea, but no promotion, no results. Yeah, (laughs) right. No results to justify the promotion. And what if nobody liked her? And so she couldn't get anybody to help her. Manufacturing wouldn't build it. Operations wouldn't ship it. Okay. Shoes on the other foot, though. What if all along, one of your other directs had a good year? He came in every day, delivered on all of his objectives, good relationships, met all of his objectives, no great ideas, just results. Promotion, maybe. Yeah. Maybe. What about the, quote, highly motivated unquote, direct. If motivating our directs is what's important, why not reward a motivated direct or a manager who has a lot of motivated directs? Ooh, I want that. But then again, it's it's easy in principle, but then you say, okay, how do we know they're motivated? I got to tell you, I think most of you would scoff at the idea of a totally motivated team that didn't do anything. That response proves that we've equated motivation and behavior, but they're different things. How many times have you said to yourself, I want to get this done, but I don't know what to do? You feel motivated, but nothing's happening. Is that a great feeling? I don't know. I don't think so. Not really. To manage by any measure other than that which we can externalize in the form of a behavior or measurement is to abdicate our responsibilities to what is in the head of somebody else, which is a form of organizational anarchy. Managing by behavior is better because it's externally measurable. 
It eliminates the vast majority of the vagaries of self-perception and self-interest and so on. I got to tell you, it's, it's usually it's fruitless to predict results from ideas or motivations. How many have had good ideas and then discovered they flopped? How many have had good, great ideas, incredible ideas, and then forgot them? However, it is much more reasonable to predict results from behaviors. Behaviors occur closer to results than ideas or motivations do and are therefore more likely to be an accurate predictor. If we were to mistakenly want to incentivize motivations or ideas or thoughts to drive results, we have to be able, since we can't see them, to infer those motivations, thoughts, or ideas from somebody else's observable behaviors or results. And now we're back and we're square in the circle. The average manager, indeed the average anybody, guys, is so incredibly inept at judging the motivations from a behavior, while in fact most of us believe we're geniuses at it, is that you start doing this, this is a roadmap to misery. Whenever you think you can infer somebody else's motivations for doing something, assume you're wrong 75% of the time. That's been our experience. I'll say it again for the billionth time in different words. Behavior is our best lever. I'm reminded of, of Churchill, right? Democracy is the second worst form of government and all the others are tied for last. By the way, that's not a, that's not a tout for democracy, okay? I'm just making a point about if you're best, but it's only because everything else is worst, then that's good enough. Behavior is our best lever and tool and measure because it's measurable, it's believable, it's mostly inarguable, or it's rationally inarguable, and it's predictive. And everything else is just a guess anyway. There you go. Yeah, I could say this. Seriously, if there were a TV show, and guys, don't rule it out, weekly TV show, half an hour long, we could sell ads where we taught managers all over the world how to manage, this would be one of our shows and people would roll their eyes. There go Mark and Mike again talking about behavior. There you go. So HBO. And 30 or 40 years from now, 30, yeah, yeah, 30 (laughs) or 40, yeah, we have friends at HBO. 30 or 40 years from now, somebody will uncover it and go, oh my gosh, (laughs) these guys were right. We don't want to be right. We just want to help you guys be effective. That's really all we want. And that's it, right? I mean, we talked about what the behaviors are, words you say, how you say them, facial expressions, body language, work product. And we talked about why other stuff doesn't produce results and why focusing on behavior behavior is better and easier. And look, guys, we encourage you to come up with a better way. We don't know a better way. Okay, an idea is a dangerous thing. It's It's the only one you have. We've tried a lot of the things. This is the one that works. It works the most often. It's not perfect, but all things of mankind are not perfect. It's our curse in life. It's our blessing and our curse every day. Who can argue that behaviors are the ultimate granular, most measurable way of viewing somebody's performance? I'll tell you something else, guys. It's completely unbiased. Don't even want to go there. If you have despaired ever in your life, If you've sat back as a manager and go, oh, my big problem is the day-to-day, the minute-to-minute, and connecting that with the end of the year. If you ever despaired about that, now it's easy. Performance is just aggregated behaviors. Focus on the behaviors every day, every week, every month, every quarter. And at the end of the year, the behaviors will diverge into good performance and bad performance. Simple as that. There you go. All right, my friend. Thank you. You bet, partner. All right, we'll see you. Thanks, everyone. We'll see you next week. In the meantime, have a great one. So long.